two minutes later, I'm starting to panic because there's nowhere to land. Well, and, that's just and, it. And we're in a float plane. Now, there yes. are a lot of ponds and there, and we were kind of following the Kobuk River, but there, I thought there's no way he's going to land it in the river. So I, <laughs> I knew that we were going to have to take care of this issue <laughs> in the plane. <laughs> and you, you were no help whatsoever. I was dying in the back. <laughs> and you kept moving away from me. <laughs> Like, you, not only would you not help, <laughs> you, you avoided me. Like, I, as if, like, all of a sudden, you could not make, be with you. make Bill believe that we weren't together. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're taking you to a remote part of Alaska, to a world above the Arctic Circle. Ooh. <laughs> we're discussing our trip to the two least visited national parks, Gates of the Arctic, and Kobuk Valley, as well as our stay in a lodge in the tiny town of Bettles. Both of these parks are wilderness areas with no roads and no services. So how did we get there and what did we do? We'll tell you all about our adventure above the Arctic Circle coming up next. When we did our original two-year journey to see all the national parks, the very last two parks left on our list were Kobuk Valley and Gates of the Arctic National Parks. I, I think we saved these for last because out of all the parks, these two are the most remote. They were even more difficult to get to than American Samoa. Yeah, if you can believe that. And they're also the least visited out of all the national parks. And maybe that's because they're so remote and, and kind of difficult to get to. Yeah, they're up there in the middle of nowhere. They are nowhere. They, they, these parks define nowhere. That's right. But they're beautiful. Incredible landscape up there. Oh, my gosh. It is like nothing we've ever seen before. So these two Alaska parks are located above the Arctic Circle. And they're kind of uh, next to each other. Uh, adjacent, but Gates of the Arctic is huge, eight, eight and a half million acres. And then Kobuk Valley is not small. It's 1.7 million acres. So they're, they're huge, but it's, it's all wilderness. No roads, no trails, no campsites, no kind of services of, of any kind. Right. Uh, you have to kind of be outside of the park in an area like Bettles or up by the Dalton Highway to, to get services to go into the park. Mm -hmm. Even the visitor centers are not located in the parks. But what you will find in the parks if you go up there, well, I should say you might find, I looked up the animals that are up there. Yeah. And what? the big ones are grizzly bears, black bears, wolves, foxes, moose, doll sheep, and of course, the Western Arctic caribou herd, which is the largest herd in America. It is over 200,000 animals. So it's a huge herd. Yes. And I would love to see that migration. I think that's one thing that people do when they go to yeah, see. Yeah, they do. And, it, and that occurred well, it started maybe a week or two after we left. We were we were there just before it, and they go across the Kobuk River. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of cool. So if you want to visit Kobuk Valley or Gates of the Arctic, the only way to get there is to be flown in on a small plane. You have two choices. You can do a flight scene tour, which is what we did, or you can get dropped off and you can wilderness camp. Also, some people do float those rivers up there, but you have to be very, very experienced wilderness backpackers. Yeah, you need to be able to self rescue <laughs> or <laughs> every day self care. Yeah, because no one's coming very quickly to. Come help you. That's right. And again, there are no campsites. There are no trails. So you're literally just dropped off into the wilderness and you have to figure out where to go, where you're going to be picked up, where you're going to sleep. You have to figure out all those details. And since we at that time hadn't even really camped in established campgrounds, we certainly weren't going to try to camp in the wilderness. No, we weren't going to try to be out there on our own. No. It was it was a wilderness enough experience just flying in a small plane out there. That's for sure. Now, most people who visit these parks either fly in and out of Bettles, Alaska or Kotzebue, Alaska, which is to the west of Kobuk Valley. Kotzebue is, yeah. Kotzebue mm-hmm. is west and it's big enough that it has an airport that like 737s can land. And then from there, you would fly into those, those parks. Now, we chose to fly in and out of Bettles, which is 35 miles above the Arctic Circle. And it's 20 miles south of the southern border of Gates of the Arctic. And you cannot fly a large plane into Bettles. No, Bettles is not super big. <laughs> gravel runway. Uh-huh. Uh, Nice big flat gravel runway, but you, you wouldn't want to take a, a big plane in there. No, there's not much to Bettles. The 2010 census estimated the population of Bettles to be 12 people. So there's the Bettles Lodge that's there, which is where we stayed. There is the visitor center, and there's the airstrip. So I think that's pretty much there were, the, Yeah, it. there were a few other houses, and, mm-hmm. and uh, ironically, it's harder to get there in the summertime. You have to fly in. In the in the winter, you can actually drive a ice road up to Bettles, but you can't do that in the warmer months. Yeah, we should do that sometime. I'd like to go back if we could drive. I just I don't care to get in a small plane again, but I would drive the ice road. It is a remote place. You kind of wonder why the heck it's there in the first place. <laughs> why why <Yeah>. would why <laughs> would there even be a little tiny town in the middle of nowhere like that, Karen. That is a really nice transition, Matt. <laughs> Way to go on that one. So now it's time for my little History Channel uh, blurb. And if you'd like to go get a cup of coffee, Matt, or... Or anyone. <laughs> <laughs> anyone listening to this podcast, here's our history lesson for today. All right. So the reason Bettles exists is because it was named after Gordon Bettles, who founded Bettles back in 1898 during the last great gold rush in Alaska. You know, a lot of these uh, white settlements were established due to all the gold rushes in Alaska. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So Gordon had been a newspaper writer like his friend Jack London, his famous friend, the author, and he established a trading post at the junction of the John River and the Koyuk 
Yukok River. So large steam-powered paddle boats would travel up the Yukon, and then they'd travel onto the Koyukuk River, bringing gold seekers up to Bettles. Then Gordon would outfit them with everything they needed, and the miners and their supplies were transferred to horse-drawn barges for the last 100 miles of travel to where the gold fields were located on the middle fork of the Koyukuk. And then when the gold rush came to an end and aircraft replaced the riverboats as the main mode of transportation, the Bettles community migrated to the airstrip that was built up the river about seven miles from the original location. At that time, they called it New Bettles, but now it's just known as Bettles. Ta-da! <laughs> And you're uh, still awake. Are you done yet? I'm coming. I'm coming back. <laughs> I thought I thought it would take longer. My coffee's still brewing. No, I was very quick. Okay. And then we should mention that Battles Lodge, which is where we stayed, as I said, that was built in 1951. So much later, Gordon Battles, I believe, was no longer there. Isn't the original Battles now a ghost town? Yeah, I think so. I've seen a few photos of at least one old building that's still standing. You know, I would have loved to visit it, but the problem for us was that it's a 14-mile round-trip hike to get there, and there, there's probably not even a trail. I guess maybe we could have floated down the river in an inner tube or something. Yeah, we could have. I'm guessing it's not worth that kind of effort. <laughs> probably not. I do remember we decided to go at the end of August, hoping from our previous experience, that the bugs would be better, or I should say there would be fewer bugs up there. Well, here's the thing. We've we've probably said this in other podcasts, but especially above the Arctic Circle, that area has permafrost. So depending on where you're at, you know, eight to 10 inches below the surface, it's just frozen earth. So all of that moisture that's up there, it has nowhere to drain. And so it's pretty swampy actually mm-hmm. and so of course that means the <laughs> bugs are are horrific That's right. and so we planned it for later in august hoping that there'd be a freeze or two to kind of knock those bugs down mm-hmm. and so we wouldn't be uh inundated with bugs and that was a good decision because yeah i the, don't remember I, I don't them. remember the bugs being very bad i don't either but i do remember some of your frustration when trying to book this trip and several of our other trips up to alaska i think People just need to know that they have to adjust their expectations. Yeah, this, this isn't like booking um, a seat on a Swiss train that's going to arrive at the station at its given time and depart. Like up in Alaska, they gauge things by days and weeks, not hours and minutes. Also, you know, when you're on your computer making your own reservations, you can usually do an entire trip in a day, you know, getting your hotels and airfare and all that. But when you're going up to some of these mom and pop establishments in Alaska, the way it works is, you know, they don't have the online booking. So you call, you leave a message, they might call you back in a week, they'll kind of get an idea of your dates, then they'll say they're going to call you back again. And I just know, Matt, it seemed to take weeks to get this trip planned. It took a long time, mm-hmm. but I, in the end, I think we did it the right way. I'm, I'm glad we did the Bettles Lodge mm-hmm. and took the flights we did. So in the end, it all worked out just fine. That's right. And our package with Bettles Lodge, that included our flights to and from Bettles from Fairbanks. It included two nights lodging, and it also included our flight scene trip into both parks. Yeah, they added it together. It was a little bit a la carte. Mm-hmm. The, that flight scene trip into the park was extra, but 
the lodge itself provided that. It was their pilots. And, right. and so, yeah, it was just kind of mm-hmm. one-stop shopping once we connected with them. That's right. So when it was time for us to go, we uh, we flew up to Anchorage, had a quick plane change and did a short flight to Fairbanks. And then we spent the night there. And then the next morning, we flew in a small plane from Fairbanks up to Bettles. Yeah, I know you were really excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> because the whole time we we had no idea really what size the plane would be that we mm-hmm. were taking from Fairbanks up to Bettles. And so we go to the airport and the, I don't know what you want to call it, the office of the little airline that we went to. We were waiting for the plane. Uh, we're sitting there. And I remember it was raining and there were a few hunters that were going on our plane with us. And they were, we were all sitting there in the office and we were wondering how big the plane would be. And sure enough, pulling up to the back of the office comes this Piper Navajo <laughs> nine-seater. I know. It, I thought it was exactly the same plane that we had been in a midair plane collision just a year before. That's right. Before. I forget. Was it yeah. two years before? No, it was it, the summer before. It was the summer before, yeah. Now, if you're not familiar with that story, we talked about it in our very first podcast episode about how when we were leaving Lake Clark National Park, our plane hit another plane midair, and the top of our plane's tail was severed. So we told about that little adventure, and I had hoped at that point to never, ever get on a small plane again. <laughs> but unfortunately, here we were back in Alaska about to get on the small plane. I had a lot of fear, but at that point, we had visited 56 parks out of the 58, and there was no way I was going to not finish that journey because I was scared. We did try to figure out how to visit these two parks without getting on a small plane. We were going to go drive up the Dalton Highway. There is a visitor center off to the east side of the park that you can go to, and we were even contemplating there there might be a way to hike into the park from the Dalton Highway into the gates of the Arctic. Mm-hmm. And then we could possibly go to Kotzebue and get on a, a river raft expedition where maybe we wouldn't have to fly a small plane in the park. But in the end, we kind of figured that just wasn't possible. No, because we talked to a ranger about the hiking in from the Dalton Highway scenario. And he just looked at us like we were crazy. And he said, you would have to hike up and over several very large mountains, and you would have to cross some um, swollen rivers, and it, it would have been impossible. So we did try hard to find a way to not get back on a small plane, but unfortunately, uh, there's there's just no way around it. So well, for yeah, fortunately, see this little uh, Piper Navajo pulling up, and I took a couple of Dramamine, and I passed out <laughs> as soon as the plane took off. So <laughs> I didn't. I was white knuckling it in the back. <laughs> Dramamine always uh, <laughs> makes me sleepy, so no problem mm-hmm. there. Yeah, we were with four hunters on the plane who were headed up to go caribou hunting up in the National Preserve part of uh, Gates of the Arctic where hunting is legal. Anyway, they were they were in good spirits. We didn't share our plane collision story with them. No, no. <laughs> yeah, and it was a pretty smooth flight. Another thing I remember about that flight, it was mostly in the clouds. So mm-hmm. we had no idea where we were going. I think the pilot knew where he was going. He seemed to. Yeah. Yes. He, he, got, he got us there. Yeah, he got us to Bettles Lodge without incident. So the lodge itself, 
I loved it. It looked like an authentic Alaskan roadhouse without, of course, without any, the roads, without yeah. any roads leading to it. But it was a, the main original building and it had log log siding or is that what you would call that? Well, I, yeah, I don't remember if they were split logs that mm-hmm. looked like siding or they're actual logs. But yeah, that main front area was authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it, it wasn't very big. The main original building had kind of the front desk lobby. There was a small gift shop. And then they had a dining room, a kitchen, and they had six original lodging rooms that had community bathrooms. And then behind it, they had built a newer separate building that had additional rooms for guests. And that's where we stayed. Yeah, it had a lot of actually had a lot of room back there. Mm-hmm. It was also, though, community bathrooms, wasn't it? There was a men's and a women's. So I don't think there was any way to get around that at Bettles. No, but it wasn't a problem. It, there weren't a lot of people there. No. <laughs> so we were okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, this being the end of or what we thought would be the end of our national park journey, we the first thing we wanted to do, which is what we do in every national park, is we had to go to the visitor center. There's a little visitor center there in Bettles. Stamp our passports, take our photos. Uh, so mm-hmm. we did that. Very bittersweet. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, so they did have the stamp for Kobuk Valley there. Yeah, we got mm-hmm. both both the stamps. But there was no national park sign for Kobuk Valley. No, but fortunately, and the ranger could see us coming. She knew that we were probably, you know, park baggers trying to go to every national park. And so we weren't the first visitors who were doing this. And she said, you know, for people who are trying to go to all the national parks and want to get their picture by the the sign, one of the visitors had made actually a really nice sign in as small as about two feet long that you take with you on the flight mm-hmm. to Kobuk Valley. And then when you're in there, you take your, your picture with the holding the sign. So that's that's what we did. Yeah, that's right. From the plane up at Kobuk. Um, one of the highlights of this trip for me was meeting Tom. Now, Tom worked at the at Bettles Lodge in the summers, and he was 89 years old. The youngest 89-year-old I have ever met. Yeah, he was in good, pretty good shape, mm-hmm. good spirits. He told us that his job at the lodge was to make coffee, but when you watched him, he he had his hands in everything. Yeah, he, he did a little bit of everything. He did. And I think his main job was to be like the goodwill ambassador or the welcome wagon or whatever you called it, because he, he would talk to the guests and get things that people needed. So he, he was a wonderful, wonderful guy. You liked Tom. That first full day we were there when we had breakfast, he... Uh, sat with us at breakfast, told us all about his life. And mm-hmm. He actually was from Yakima in Washington State, so uh, not too far from where we live. And he had been a college professor up in Alaska. It, he taught classes on interpersonal relationships. And mm-hmm. and he said when guests come, he watches their body language. <laughs> Which all of a sudden we got really yeah. nervous. Yeah. We were like, uh-oh. <laughs> What's coming next? (laughs) But he actually said that he was watching us check in and that he could tell that we are a couple who has a lot of fun together. So maybe that's another reason that I like Tom so much. Uh, But we should say Tom was a pilot. He told us he was no longer flying because he, he was 89 years old. But he was a pilot who used to hunt and go up to these wilderness areas. And he would refuel in battles, which is how he originally found the place. And so now in his retirement, he 
just spends every summer up there. Yeah, he doesn't spend the winters up in Bettles. Right. Yeah, they also had a little dog, little Chloe. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what kind of dog Chloe was. I think it, it was, was a like a Chihuahua, it wasn't it? Looked like a, a, a sausage, a sausage, <laughs> a stuffed sausage dog. Also, it always had a it had a different outfit. Not every day, like every four or five hours, it had a different outfit. Somebody dressed Chloe up, and she had a lot of traditional Alaska outfits, and she had, she'd wear camo and like fur things. Yeah. <laughs> She liked you because she, I think she probably realized that you were the best chance to get any food. <laughs> and you, she was right. That you might feed her during our meals. That's, but, that is correct. So she always said on she your knew. Lineup, yeah. <laughs> But that, that first full day, so we fly up there. That afternoon, the day we fly up, like I said, we go to the visitor center. And then, then the next day was our day to fly into the parks. And... There had been, as of course, there had been weather in the area. <laughs> so there were thunderstorms and there was a little bit of a, a question mark as to whether or not we were actually going to be able to fly because there were thunderstorms mm-hmm. ro- rolling through. But they they said in the morning, we think there will be a window in the afternoon, maybe three or four o'clock. Um, so they, they basically said, you know, just hang around all day. <laughs> but they also said, you know, if we get a window – be ready to go. So we didn't feel like we could go out and hike for four or five hours and then come back at, at three because that's not how Alaska is. You know, right. You, you hang out and if it's if you get a window, you go. So, yeah, so we hung out all morning. And- yeah, I remember they have these guest books, um, these kind of ledgers in the lobby that people sign and talk about their experiences. So we sat there and read those for a long time. And then we had a very leisurely lunch with, with well, a couple of beers. <laughs> well, the, yeah. Now, it's not like we do a lot of day drinking or, you know, wanted to, you know, have a bunch of beers before our trip. But we were a little nervous. Oh, I was very nervous. Having, you know, mm. done having had other small plane incidents in, in Alaska before. So had a beer with lunch and then it looked like it looked stormy. So mm-hmm. we had nothing else to do. So we had a second beer and, and uh, just talked to other folks in the lines. And the thing about the weather in Alaska and these small planes is people are stranded all the time because of the weather, right? And so the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, if you're stranded at Bettles Lodge and, and again, you're drinking beer and having lunch, you know, it's no big deal. But if you are stranded, if they have dropped you off into gates of the Arctic National Park and you're waiting for your pickup on your scheduled day and it's stormy and they can't get to you, we've heard stories of it can take days, oh, yeah. days yeah. for them to come back <laughs> so and get you. So we were okay <laughs> with being stranded in the lodge that had beer. That's right. And a bed and, yeah. We were we were good with that. <laughs> Almost on time, around three o'clock, in walks one of the pilots, Bill, who came in and said, you know, it's it's time to go. It was time. And all of a sudden it was real and it was here. Um, there was another um, young man named Patrick who drove the three of us in his pickup truck out to the pond where our float plane was waiting. Patrick was teasing us on the way and he was telling us that he was going to fly the plane even though he didn't have his pilot's license Yeah, I think, I think Patrick, I think that was Patrick's thing to do is to rib the guests and kind of, you know, tease them a little bit about going up in the small plane. Patrick didn't know who he was talking to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, with, 
We've had bad experiences before. That's right. So That's anyway, not something we, we, we joke around we with. We didn't say a lot. He was he was a good kid. He was just mm-hmm. having fun, but we didn't think it was too funny at the time. And we get down to what they called the pond, where uh-huh. where the float planes parked. And Bill was down there. He was gassing up the plane. And he he turns to us. We're just kind of standing on the on the shore, just hanging around, waiting for him. And he looks over. He says, "You guys okay with a little turbulence?" <laughs> No. I thought, well, <laughs> like what what are you going to say? Again, we're this mm-hmm. we're this close to going to the last two parks. You know, kind of at that point, it's, you know, yeah, yep. we're okay with any anything, We've committed. right? We have and committed. so what that triggered was me again a little concerned about the turbulence. So I took another Dramamine and drank a whole bunch of water and mm-hmm. so I thought, okay, you know, the last thing I want to do is feel queasy while while we're up there. And we climbed in. I think this was the tiniest plane I have ever seen. It was it was, it was a, a little four seater. Yeah, it was a Volkswagen with with mm-hmm. wings. And you were sitting up in front with Bill, but I mean, you're like right next to each other. Oh, we're we're shoulder to shoulder. Our, Shul- our shoulders are touching. Yes, that's how tiny it was. <laughs> yeah. And I'm in the seat behind you. And then there was an empty seat next to me where we piled up our backpacks and our coats and that kind of that kind of yeah. thing. But it was teeny and, tiny. And it's loud in there. So these little planes, what they do is they give you these microphones or mm-hmm. headphones so mm-hmm. that you can talk to each other. That's the only way you're going to talk. And and what's what's interesting is these these headsets had voice activated microphones. So you start to talk. And the first second or a half second, you can't hear your voice because it takes a half a second for the microphone to kick in. So you're never completely sure that the other person can hear you. So we got kind of got into this habit of saying, uh, mm-hmm. so it would turn on the microphone and then speak. Uh, but it was nice to have because that engine noise was really loud and we wouldn't have been able to talk if we didn't have those. But the takeoff was fine. And when we got up in the air... We were flying in and out of rain showers, but do you remember there were rainbows everywhere? Right, yeah. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And we were headed to um, Kobuk Valley first and then Gates of the Arctic. But about 20 minutes into the flight, something happened. I could see the, um, what do you call it, that tells you how many miles you have left? The GPS, I guess it was? Yeah, that he, said yeah, we were... Uh, we had 175 miles still to go to reach Kobuk Valley. When I heard you say, uh, Bill, I have to pee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was I was surprised you didn't join the conversation at that point. I was dying. Or jump out of the play. <laughs> I was dying in the back. Did you think seat. I was joking? No, I because I knew you had beers and you had the Dramamine. So and... here's here's the life lesson. And I know this now, but Dramamine is a diuretic. (laughs) What happens when you take Dramamine, and I'm surprised this didn't happen on the flight out to Bettles, is it causes you to have to pee. Mm -hmm. And so having a few beers and water and a diuretic, like I had to go. And I'm thinking, well, surely I can hold it for 175 miles. I forget how fast we were going. It seemed like we were going maybe 110, which Mm -hmm. is, is kind of slow but thought i could hold it for two hours two minutes later i i'm starting to panic because there's nowhere to land well that's just it we're in a float plane now there are a lot of ponds 
and there and we were kind of following the Kobuk River, but there, I thought there's no way he's going to land it in the river. So I <laughs> I knew that we were going to have to take care of this issue <laughs> in the plane. <laughs> and you you were no help whatsoever. <laughs> When I realized what your plan was, that you were going to pee in the plane, sitting three inches from Bill, I was dying in the back. So here, here <laughs> pretending was pretending like I wasn't with you. Here was my plan because I didn't. We didn't even have a water bottle with us because mm-hmm. you know if you had an empty Nalgene bottle, you could kind of go in that. And I didn't. So I had my backpack. I had a dry bag in it. That's probably probably a one liter dry bag. So it wasn't very big. And I had all my snacks in it. So the plan was dump all the snacks out, go in the dry bag, and then seal that up because it's a dry bag. It should it should be watertight. But I had to do all of that pretty quick. And I reached back for my backpack thinking that the person in the back seat <laughs> would help me knowing what... <laughs> Knowing what kind of a panic I was in, and you kept moving away from me. (laughs) Not only would you not help, (laughs) you you avoided me, as if like all of a sudden you could not be with you, make Bill believe that we weren't together. Just trying my hardest. (laughs) So I'm I'm having to get my backpack, dump the snack. You wouldn't you wouldn't even help me dump out the snacks. Well, we weren't really communicating at that point. You were just grabbing <laughs> you were, blindly for you were, things. <laughs> you were hiding. Yeah. So I finally, with with none of your help whatsoever, <laughs> got the snacks out of the dry bag. And then I thought, I'm not sure I can go because you're buckled in. Not only do you have a, a seatbelt around your waist, but then you have the shoulder harness. And then it's like a huge child seat where the shoulder harness is attached to the the lap belt and like you can't move. Anyway, to make a long story short, it was very difficult to get into the right position <laughs> with Bill three inches away from me. Well, that's the awkward flying, part, right? Well, I... <laughs> you told me later, oh, he sees that all the time. No way I, are there guys peeing I in this plane right next to I am not the first person who's peed in that plane. I guarantee <laughs> oh, you. I, I guarantee you. I, I was, call bullshit on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, and what was worse than that is the bags start getting full. Well, yes. And then what do you do? And, and, and is then, it, like, there's no plan B. And I thought a dry bag was designed to keep water out, not to keep liquids in. Well, it it did... <laughs> Not to not to get too detailed, but it was it wasn't perfect. <laughs> but but I had to I had to put that back in my backpack. I had to lean over Bill with one arm to put this in with my backpack back in the back seat with you <laughs> avoiding me the whole time. So anyway, I, then I'm thinking, okay, I've solved this problem. You know, we can relax and just enjoy it, and we just keep flying and flying and flying. By the time we got to the little pond where we were landing on, I'm like, Bill, I got to go again. (laughs) And I'm out of dry bags. So we had to put her down pretty quick. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to say one more thing about the pee incident, and then we'll never speak of it again, is when we were writing Dear Bob and Sue, and I was reading your your drafts and editing them, I was shocked that you wrote about that, that you told people that you peed in the plane. I thought thought that secret would die with you. (laughs) Did you? (laughs) Karen, this is this is just nature. 
<laughs> people well, do it all the time. Oh, uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, people yeah. pee in small planes. Didn't right. some? Didn't someone send us an email once and said that that same thing happened to them? Mm, I have no recollection <laughs> of that. I think it was from you, signed Matthew Smith. <laughs> All right, well, back to Kobuk Valley. So like you said, we landed on this lake in Kobuk, and it was right next to the great Kobuk sand dunes, which were really impressive as we flew in. It was huge. There are three sand dunes in the park, and they total 20,000 acres. And I remember seeing big animal tracks mm-hmm. through the sand. I don't know what they would be. And, and I don't think that they were caribou because there were no caribou around. And there was kind of a single set of tracks. So I'm, I'm sure it was a polar bear. They, <laughs> hey, wait, that wasn't on my list of animals. I, I don't know. think there were no, polar bears it's, it's there. Grizzly bear of some kind. <laughs> grizzly bear. But it was beautiful coming in for landing on that lake. And then when Bill stopped the plane, I know the two of you got out on the wings to have another pee session. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a long, it's a long trip out there. Yeah. And then Bill took our photo with the Kobuk Valley sign. And that was pretty much it. I think we were on the water for 20 minutes. And then we took off again for Gates of the Arctic. That was our shortest park visit ever. Yeah, but we got it in. It, it was official. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we had to take off. And, and the days are longer up there, but still it's late August. I mean, they're not you know 24 hours of sunlight. So we still kind of had to keep it moving. The flight from there to Gates of the Arctic was beautiful. Well, every leg of the trip was beautiful. L- lots of winding rivers below us. Yeah, it was absolutely jaw-dropping scenery out the window of that little plane. You know, there were lakes and there were mountains off in the distance. And one of those lakes, Walker Lake, was our next stop. On that visit, we were able to beach the plane, get out, do Mm -hmm. a little bit of hiking around, have our high-five moment. Yes, that was our... Gosh, I could tear up thinking about it. It was what we thought at the time was our last park. It, it was kind of emotional. We high fived. We actually managed to connect our palms yeah, together. It took Usually, a few, we miss. Few, few tries. <laughs> now, again, there are no trails in the park, so we kind of bush bushwhacked a little we, bit. A little I guess bit. you'd say a little bit, not not much. Yeah, and uh, it took Bill a little while. He had to refuel the plane, and with... then we had to pee again. <laughs> so we did that, but that that wasn't the end of the flight seeing trip. Before we flew back to Bettles, Bill took us up over the Aragech Peaks. And that was something, wasn't I, it? I remember he, he he taxis the plane out on the lake to, you know, get a run and, and take off. And he's pointing it right at these peaks. And I'm thinking, I don't know that we can get over those. They're 7,000 feet high. <laughs> yeah. just, our little plane, and he takes <laughs> off, and we're going, you know, we're a mile from the lake, and we're still 17 feet off the ground, and the peaks were getting closer and closer, but sure enough, he just climbed and climbed and climbed, and we cleared them, not by much, but that was pretty cool, because we were right over those mm-hmm. peaks. And Aragech, it's an Inupiat word, meaning fingers of the outstretched hand, and they kind of do look like fingers, very tall, narrow, pointy. Rocky peaks, yeah. rocky yeah. peaks, mm-hmm. and they had a light dusting of snow on them. I think you made the comparison that it looked like powdered sugar. Yeah, they had powdered <laughs> sugar snow on them, mm-hmm. and it was beautiful. So we we did a little bit of a tour of the Aragech, and I'm glad we did that because we weren't even aware of of that. That's right. 
At the end of the flight seeing trip, it's customary to tip your pilot if he did a good job. And and Bill definitely showed us some good sights and did a fantastic job. And you and I had agreed ahead of time what the tip would be. And so I had the cash in my pocket. But when we landed back on the pond, I threw in an extra 40 bucks. <laughs> 20, 20 for letting me pee in his plane and then another 20 for not hitting the other plane. <laughs> Well, since you mentioned the tip, uh, we should list out our other expenses for these two parks. And now remember that this was in 2012, so it's it's pretty likely that the prices have gone up. Now, Bettles Lodge charged us $1,400 for the two nights lodging, all our meals, and the flights to and from Bettles to Fairbanks. Then they charged us $2,500 for the four-hour flight scene tour. That plus Bill's tip put us over four grand. Then, of course, we also had the cost of our Seattle flights to and from Fairbanks and our hotel in Fairbanks the night before we headed up to Bettles. So, yeah, it, it was an expensive trip. Alaska is always expensive. Yeah, there's just no there's just no getting around it. Anyway, I think by the time we got back to the lodge, it was around nine o'clock. Um, dinner was kind of officially over, but they had saved us two meals in the kitchen. And so we grabbed a couple beers out of the cooler and they brought us our dinner. And it was time to celebrate at that point because we had lived through yeah. the flights. Yeah. We had finished our journey. <laughs> yeah. So we had a nice dinner and it was kind of special because Tom was there and he asked us if he could join us because he didn't want to interrupt, but uh, we were, we were, we were happy to have him. That's right. And he told us that he had a feeling that this was, that that was going to be his last summer up in Alaska. He said that uh, he had kids in Washington state who wanted him to come and live with them. And um, he told us that he felt like the end was near, but he said it in a way he wasn't sad. He, you know, he said he lived this amazing life and I don't know, just talking to him, it felt like kind of like an honor to me. Yeah, it was a great part of the trip to meet him and hear his story. And, and that's one of the great things about when we traveled and went to all these parks and meeting people who went out of their way in their life to do unusual things and mm -hmm. had these great experiences. And, and it, it really inspires you to keep going out and looking for new, interesting, fun things to do. That's right. And living life to the fullest. I mean, he was 89 and he was still going strong. And so that was our last full day there. But what we wanted to do is see the northern lights. Mm -hmm. And it was getting dark around midnight, but the sun is at an angle where it's setting pretty slow. So it took us, gosh, I don't think we were out there till 1, 1.30 in the morning before mm -hmm. it really got dark. That's right. But it's fine because we were too excited. We were too pumped up to go to bed anyway. So we wandered out. We were on the that gravel airstrip. We were hanging out there. And surprisingly, there were other guests out right. there as well. Yeah, we weren't by ourselves. Yeah. So. And so, gosh, I think it was around 1.30 a.m. that the show began and we could start seeing those kind of wispy streaks of green. Yeah. Gosh. It was amazing. Yeah, the Aurora. They don't call them Northern Lights up, mm -hmm. up in Biddles. They just call it the Aurora. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. We, we, got a, we got a pretty good show. We did, yeah. yeah. It wasn't as spectacular as some photos I've seen, but it was, it was certainly wondrous to us. And it, it seemed like the perfect ending, didn't it, to, right. This, right. to, to this journey? Yeah. Well, then the next day, I think our flight was about 9 a.m. back to Fairbanks. So we didn't have a whole lot of time. We had to get up and, and have breakfast, get our bags packed, and out we 
had to get out and hang around close to the runway so that they <laughs> wouldn't forget us. And But anyway, we were hanging out by the runway, but you had to go back in and say goodbye to Tom. That's right. So I ran back in and I found him. And, and you know, I, I don't think I'll ever forget what he told me. He said, as he was saying goodbye, he said he would think about us often. And what he told me that that you and I are rich, and he wasn't referring to money. He said that we're rich because, because we have each other and we have time, and that's all we really need. So there you go. And he's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Wouldn't be an episode without the History Channel <laughs> episode crying. and the crying. So there you go, folks. And that wraps it up. <laughs> That's right. And we're done. We're done. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we after that trip, we published Dear Bob and Sue. And we had quite a few people email us asking about Tom, like what happened to him. They wanted to, you know, the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Was that his last summer? What happened to him? We tried to contact Bettles Logs to find out what, what was going on with him. But... I think the logs sold fairly soon after we left. There were new mm-hmm. owners. And so never really found out what what happened to Tom. Yeah, the truth is we don't know what happened to him. But since the new lodge owners didn't know of him or have his contact information, we're just going to assume that the summer that he was there when we met him, that that was his last summer up there, as as he kind of had predicted. But yeah, what an honor and a pleasure to meet him. And we actually think of him often and his example of yeah, living life to the fullest. Inspirational, mm-hmm. really incredible example of living yeah. life to the fullest. Absolutely. So when we had finished uh, this trip to the parks, you know, we thought our journey was done, right? We had visited all 58 at the time, checked him off the list. And, and I don't know why, but for some reason, it never occurred to us at the time that new national parks might be established. Uh, so just as we had finished writing Dear Bob and Sue, but before we published it, all of a sudden, Pinnacles National Park in California became park number 59. So we had a chance to visit that park and then add it to the end of the book. Yeah, we got 59 in on that first mm-hmm. you know, kind of first season of Dear Bob and Sue. And, of course, they keep making more national parks. Uh, they keep making them. Now there are four more national parks, bringing the total to 63. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the journey continues. It does continue. And let's just hope that we're still out living life and seeing the national parks when we're 89 years old, I'm just sure, like Tom. <laughs> I'm sure we will. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in this week, and we'd like to give a shout out to our listeners in Spain, New Zealand, and Switzerland. We're so happy to have you all with us. Wow, do I have to say this next part in all of those different languages? <laughs> Could you? <laughs> in, in the New Zealand language. That's right. <laughs> if you haven't read our Dear Bob and Sue books yet, they're packed with information and stories about our visits to public lands with a lot more details than we cover in our podcast episodes. There are three of them in the series. You can buy the paperback, the Kindle version, or the audiobook on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. If you have a question for our monthly mailbag episode or a topic for a future episode, send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobands, or you can find us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith. Every episode, we create show notes. 
and those have links at the bottom that will give you more information about what we discussed. Go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com, click on the Episodes tab in the menu bar, and then click on the title for Episode 37. Our show is produced by our amazing team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. If any of you have been to Bettle's Lodge recently, or if you're planning to go this summer, I'd love to know if Chloe the Sausage Dog is still making the rounds. Yeah, and take some pictures and send them to us. We want to see what her her latest outfits are. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely.